Hey everyone, and welcome to the Tulare Church Podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank you for engaging in our content as we seek to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. We hope and pray these sermons and talks will inspire you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your week. So, uh, with, without delaying any further, um, we're, we're going to talk about this morning, I guess, um, well, about influences. And my mother never, you know, my, nobody ever said it to me like this. Um, about influences prompt bad behavior. Nobody ever said it to me like that. But I thought it was kind of catchy, so I thought I'd share it with you. And um, I thought about this, and I started thinking about all the things that, you know, my parents used to say to me and when I was hanging out with people that they didn't like. You know, my mother would say like things, things like, you become who you hang around. If you allow this person to influence your life, you can become that thing. It's not always a surefire deal, but it's primarily a big, big problem. That if you're hanging around people who are doing bad things, there's a good chance you're probably going to do some bad things. And there are some things that I was introduced to as a young man that I wish I never would have set foot in. But this is not confessional time, so I won't go on with the list of things that all the things I did wrong, um, unless everybody wants to come up and take a turn at doing that. So. Um, <laughs> Jim Rohn says, says it another way. He says, you are the average of the five people you're around the most. So your circle of people, the people that you're, that you're involved with, the people in your life, um, your close friends, your family, you're a reflection of the people that you hang around the most. This is especially true when it comes to young people. Um, they, they don't have a, you know, a, a family unit, so to speak. So they gravitate towards friends, college friends, high school friends, you know, things like that. And they become, you start to become the person that you're around. And this is so important. I mean, and so logical. If you think about it, if you hang around thief, what do you think you'll become? A thief, right? If you hang around drunks, what do you think you'll become? A drunk. I mean, it's logical, but we don't, we don't place it that way in our mind, right? If we hang around cheaters, well, you might become a cheater. If you hang around liars, you might become a liar. You know, and, and, and especially important when it comes to religious influences. Because the people of the day, the people in Jesus' time, the people in Paul's area, the people in, in Paul's time, were, were highly susceptible to religious influences. Now, we don't live in a world that's highly religious. We don't live in a world that's, that's, that's at least in our country, is everybody believes in the Bible. We don't live in that country anymore. We don't live in that world. But the people in the first century lived in that world where there were pagan worshipers. There were, there were, there were Pharisees on every corner. There were people all over the place. There were temples dedicated to certain gods like Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and Diana, the, the daughter of Zeus, the, the, the god of fertility in Ephesus. There were all over the place. And everybody worshipped something. Now, in our day and age, it's not as clear, right? But here's, here, here's the deal. Here's the problem that we run into. And this is just a natural, longstanding human problem. It's, it's not any one particular person. It's just human nature. We have a tendency to do what feels and looks good, right? You don't believe me? Look at the cars you drive. Right? You probably bought your car because you thought it was cool, even if it is a Chevy or a Ford, okay? But <laughs> you probably bought it because it looked really cool, right? You probably bought it because, man, I want, I want that truck or I want that car or I, I want to go fast. Anybody got a Maserati or a Ferrari in here? Well, okay. But you see my point? 
And we hear it in our society all the time. Well, I did that because it feels good. Well, I did that because it looks good, right? And, and young people aren't the only ones to do that. You know, people have been doing it for centuries. We have this tendency to gravitate toward what pleases our flesh. And it's challenging. It's difficult. Sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Sometimes we act like, you know, oh, that's, that's not me. And we're good at sitting there pointing the finger, well, that guy does that. I, you know, I only do this, right? I, I only do this little thing. And this guy over here does this other thing. But we're still continuously involving our lives in what looks and what feels good. Well, Jesus actually ad- addresses this idea of influences in our life, right? The natural human order of following or looking at or doing what feels and looks good is not always the best way to go about things. And, and Matthew, who was a, a Jew and a disciple and a tax collector, um, was also a, a follower of Jesus and a later an apostle. And he wrote this account of Jesus's life and told the story of things that Jesus said. And so he records this massive account we're all familiar with called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's basically a culmination of Jesus kicking the Pharisees in the teeth and saying, you're doing it all wrong. Don't look at the, the people, the religious people who are waving their hands like this, because that's not real. That's not real religion. That's not real following. That's not real dedication. That's just a show. Is essentially what you could boil the Sermon on the Mount down. And he goes through two chapters and he gets to chapter seven, the middle of chapter seven. He says this, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Here's the deal. In a religious world, well, I like that religion better. I like that church better. I like that practice that that guy's doing. I like that a lot better. You know what? I could perform. I'll just stand on the street corner, you know, and, and when I pray, I'm going to put my hands up like this, and I'm going to make everybody look at me. But he says, those people, they aren't doing it for the right reasons. He says, you got to be cautious. you got to be aware of the influences in your life. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They're disguised. As a sheep, they're disguised as a good person. But inwardly, they have an agenda. They have something they want to get. They, they have something they want to get out of you or, or get to you. Now, I, I, had a, I had a friend way back in the day, about a decade ago, who introduced me to a friend that she had. And this guy, you know, he liked everything I liked. He liked hunting. He liked fishing. He liked big trucks. He liked to go four-wheeling. I mean, all the things that I like to do, I mean, man, this guy's a great, he, this is going to be great. We're going to do all sorts of fun stuff together and also get into a lot of trouble together, which was primarily the case. We did more of that than we did of the other things. And things that I was never introduced to, things that I told myself I'd never do that in my life. For the first time in my life, I did. Now, there's probably some people who can relate to that, who had those bad influences in their life, who had those people in their life that are like, hey, try this. It's not that bad. Or, you know, think this way about it, not that way about it. Or, or they start shifting your mindset. Well, really, God doesn't exist, right? How could he? I mean, and you start to question. The warning is we have to look at who we're letting influence us right? But he doesn't stop here. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by what they produce. Grapes are not gathered from thorn thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Like, hey, do you get this? 
Now to us, we read this and we go, grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? I don't understand. Okay, you can't get an apple from an orange tree, and you can't get an orange from an apple tree, to put it in simpler terms, right? You can't, you can't, the, the trees are of their kind. The tree produces what the, the kind of tree is supposed to produce. It doesn't produce any other kind. And so you'll know them, you'll know what it is when you see the fruit blossom, right? He goes further. So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears good fruit. Again, totally logical, Totally logical. Okay, I get it, Jesus. Where are you going to go from there? A tree cannot produce bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Again, highly logical. Very understandable. And the way that I look at this is, you know, when you've got a, a large religious culture and you've got people who have propped themselves up on pedestals as spiritual elites, and have, and have painted themselves as the ideal candidate for religious mirroring, you have a problem because people go, well, I want to be like that, but I can't be like that, so I'm just going to do what that guy does. But in reality, they're, they're rotten to their root. They're rotten to the core. It might look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's not that good. It's not as good as it looks. But again, that human tendency, well, that looks good. It feels good. I want that. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't follow those people who are, are merely building a mirage, a, an illusion, so to speak. Right? Goes even further than that. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Man, he's just hammering home. And you know what? The Pharisees hate this too because Jesus knows, they know who Jesus is talking about when he says, you know, a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a, a bad tree can't bear good fruit. They know who he's talking about. This whole Sermon on the Mount, he's just ramming right into them. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not beating anybody up. I'm just saying you need to pay attention to the influences in your life. And here's, here's what he says at the end. Wraps it full circle. You'll know them by their fruits. You'll understand who they are. You'll look at who they are. Not by what they show you, but by what is produced in their life. Is a key element of, well, generally good people. Good things. People who are led by Jesus. People who are led by God. People who are led by the Spirit. Generally good People who are not seeking themselves, but seeking something higher than themselves. This is why this is important. This is the only thing you need to know today. The thing you need to remember when you walk out the door, the thing you need to, to think to yourself when you're driving on the road in the car, you're sitting, sitting alone reading a book, when, when, you're, when you're around someone else who you admire, just remember this. Who you let lead you will determine your destination. And a lot of times we aren't cautious about that, are we? A lot of times, you know, more than you, let me say this, more than you follow Jerry, more than you follow the elders, you need to follow Jesus. You need to look to Jesus for your example. You need to look to Jesus to how you live your life. Because I'm sure everybody in this room, everybody in this world, nobody would say they wanted to go to hell, would they? Everybody wants to go. Everybody wants to live forever. Nobody wants to die. 
But these influences in our life and who we allow to prompt bad or good behavior can drive us in a direction and put us in a destination we never intended to go. And it's important that we pay attention to things like what Jesus said. And that's why when we talk about this kind of stuff, it's, it's for reflection. It's for you to sit back a little bit and say, who am I, let, who am I letting lead me, really? Who, who am I allowing to influence my life? Because even if maybe you don't think you're highly influential, maybe if you, you don't think, well, I'm not really influenced by anybody. You're, everybody is influenced by somebody. Everybody's character is shaped by somebody they see or something they see or someone they're around or something that someone said. Things are in your brains from 10 or 12 or 15 years ago that somebody said to you and you're listening to that. Maybe on a daily basis, reminding yourself why or why not you shouldn't or should do that thing. Yeah. I know, because I have the same problem. But sometimes I allow people to lead me in the direction I never intended to go. So Paul, uh, who was a missionary, he was uh, a Jew and a Pharisee. Uh, he was an apostle of Jesus. He was a very well-known individual. You guys all knew who Paul is. I don't have to explain him to you. But for those of you who don't know who Paul is, Paul was a big deal in the first century world. Um, and when Paul was first converted, right after he was converted, he went to he went on a missionary he went on a missionary journey with a guy named Barnabas, and they set up a bunch of churches. Well, one of the places that they went was Galatia, and they set up this whole they set up this whole link of churches in Lystra and Derby and Iconium and all these little towns in the region of Galatia. And then they left and they came back, and some years later they were having this problem with. Binding where God had not bound. In other words, there were some Jewish teachers in there who were saying, you know, you have to be, in order to be a, a real saved Christian, you have to be circumcised plus baptized in order, in order to really be saved. In other words, you have to practice rudimentary things of the law because the law still applies to your Christianity, even though it's doesn't apply to Christianity. And so there's this big conflict. Paul, basically the whole book is calling them dummies and saying, why, who bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Who bewitched you? I marvel that you're so quickly turning to gospel of a different kind. And the whole book, he's just, he's just telling, ramming them. He's just hitting them. He's think about what you're doing. Why are you allowing these teachers these people to influence your decisions and to influence your actions and to influence what you're teaching and telling other people. Why are you doing that? Chapter 5, he says, it was for freedom we were set free. Not that we were bound to the law. And you go down a little further. And it seems as though, in, well, in verse 15, that they were having some relational trouble. That they were, that they were beating, that they were, there was some strife or some, some friction there about this conflict. And so Paul gives them the solution to that problem. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Because again, they were appealing to that, to that human attitude of, well, it looks good, it feels good. I wanna do that. So I'm gonna do that regardless of what I know I should do. Right? That divide in your life, what I should do, what I want to do, is always a tear. It's always a hard choice. It's always a difficult thing. 
I want to do this, but I should do this. Paul says, you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And he's going to explain that a little bit further, what that means as we walk through this passage. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, there's a reason for this. You can't just commit a crime and get away with it. You can't just commit a sin and say, you know what, I, I, just, I just do this. I just get drunk all the time and it's fine. You know, God's going to bring me to heaven. But what Paul's saying is, he's like, you can't just do whatever you want. I mean, people who choose to follow Jesus need to follow Jesus. That means giving up things. That means sacrificing. That means disciplining yourself. And those, again, they're challenging things to do. They're hard things to do. But it's better if you do than if you don't. He said, you can't do what you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Again, he's referring back to this, this idea that the, the law was there as a tutor, as a guide, as something that was going to bring you along the path till the time that Jesus came. But look, Jesus came, the law's not there anymore. You're, you, are led by, you, are, you are led by the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, you walk by the Spirit. You're not under law. There is none of this. It's, an, it's, it's, it's a fantasy of your imagination and you have to get the picture. That it's not about completing every single command of the law, but by walking that the spirit that dwells within you. Again, hard to do. Because our natural inclination is to do what we want to do. Not what somebody else wants to do. Not what God wants us to do. But to do what we want to do. Because it feels better if I do what I want to do than what somebody else tells me to do. But it's fundamentally better if we discipline and we say, you know what? I'm going to listen to God on this one. And you'll struggle, have difficulties, you'll probably mess up. But eventually, you'll rise over that hump. Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So you listen to the Spirit. Now he says this, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are? Okay, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, burst, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, hold on, we're not done, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you. This whole list of items, which we could spend a tremendous amount of time on, but we're not going to, you get the point. The point is that the flesh pursues one angle, and he's going to give us this giant contrast between the desires of the flesh and, and the, the things that I want to do and the things that make me feel good and the things that I need to produce, if, that things that I will produce if I walk by the Spirit. And he doesn't even give us the whole list. You notice he says, and, these, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, now this is the key right here, practice. We're not talking about slipping up. We're not talking about messing up. We're not talking about giving in one time. We're not talking, we're not talking about those types of things. We're talking about a lifestyle choice. 
We're talking about doing something consistently, not inconsistently. Not, well, I messed up. I made a mistake. Practice. Anybody play sports? Okay, how do you get good at a sport? Well, you practice it. You practice every day. You practice as frequent as you can. You practice as often as you can to try and improve. But we're not trying to improve on the deeds of the flesh. It's a, it's a lifestyle that's like, well, I just do this. But if I'm giving my life to a deed of the flesh, then I'm not giving my life to Jesus. I'm not seeking Jesus. I'm seeking myself. And he says, if you practice these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You can't. You're not trying. But, he says, but. But the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such there is no law. All those other things that you are, that I just listed, there's a law against those. But love there's no law against love. There's no law against joy. There's no law against peace, against patience, against kindness, against goodness, against faithfulness, against gentleness and self-control. These are things we need to practice. These are things that we need to be seeking to do, seeking to be kind, because you know what? It's easier to be unkind than it is to be kind. Especially when, you, especially when you're angry about something. Especially, you know, when someone, you know, it's especially hard to be patient when someone's not listening to you or not doing what you want. Hard to be patient with a brother who's living in sin. Hard, hard to be patient with your children. Hard to be patient with your spouses. Not going to name any individuals, but hard to be patient. There's no law against this. But if I practice these things, I mean, Peter talks about, if you go to over to, if you go to 2 Peter 1, he has this whole list of Christian virtues, right? One of those virtues is self-control, right? Which falls under the category of self-discipline, which is extremely difficult to do, hard to figure out. But self-control is a lost art in our world. People don't practice self-control in this world anymore. They do whatever they want. So what's the difference between us and them if we don't practice self-control? What's the difference? We're just the same as they are. But, but if we're following the Spirit's influence, if we're walking by the Spirit, these are the types of things that we're going to produce. We should want to be a people who walk by the Spirit. We should want to be a people who... Try not to sin, who try not to be difficult. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, he's going to go back to chapter 3 and verse 27 and 28, and he's going to say, when you were baptized, you were crucified. And he's going to go back to chapter 2 and verse 20. And he said, it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. If you belong to Jesus, this is what you've done. This is the picture. This is the idea. This is what we're, we're envisioning, is that we've, we've, we've given these things up and pursued the righteousness of God. 
the walk of Jesus, to be led by the Spirit. That's what we're pursuing. We're not in pursuit of doing what we want to do. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Why? Because if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. How comforting. But if I try every day and I try my hardest to walk by what to walk by the Spirit, to walk by what I see in the Word of God, to, to, to try and do the right things that I won't carry out, the deeds of the flesh that will ultimately drive me in a destination I never intended to go. That's the kicker. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. In other words, resolve your conflict. Seek unity. Let the Spirit lead you. Because who we let lead us will determine our destination. So what do we do about this problem? What do we do about this problem of, of doing and, and acting on what looks good and feels good? What do we do about that issue? Because it is an issue in our world. And how do we stand out from the crowd? Instead of getting lost in it, how do we stand out from it? How, how, do we, how do we say, you know what? Those Christians, those Jesus followers are different. And I, have, I think I have a simple solution. I think I have a really simple solution. Stop seeking self. That, that, <laughs> that right there is the biggest hurdle. One of my teachers in school said, if you can get a hold of the self problem, you can get a hold of the sin problem. Because self is ultimately what drives us into sin. Self is ultimately what causes us to follow us instead of follow Jesus, instead of being led by the Spirit. Stop seeking self. Start seeking Jesus. I think Jesus said it best. When he was in this conversation with his disciples in Mark chapter 8, he says this deafening statement to the disciples. You know, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter stands up and he rebukes him and he says, Lord, nothing will happen to you. He says, get behind me, Satan. And he, and he turns to the crowd and he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, and if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And otherwise, crucify yourself. In other, in other words, give up self-will to follow God's will. There's a difference between seeking the will of God and seeking what I want from the will of God. A big difference. If I start seeking what I want from the will of God, I will only do the things that I want to do. But if I seek the whole will of God, I will have to give up myself. If I choose to follow Jesus, I will have to give up myself because I follow what he commands. We have to stop seeking self. That's how we walk by the Spirit. We stop looking at ourselves, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. So the question again, who leads you? Who leads your life? Who are the influences that push you in one direction or another. This time we take, you know, when we think about this idea of stopping seeking self, is we need to take a time of reflection. And I, and I encourage reflection all the time because I do it myself 
I do it myself constantly because um, I, I never think I'm in the right place or I never think I'm, I'm where I need to be or where I'm supposed to be. And I do this with lots of things, how I'm, you know, my, my fatherhood, you know, how my, how my father to my daughters, you know, how am I husband to my wife? Am I, am I the husband that I need to be? Am I the father that I need to be? Am I, the, am I the son that I need to be? Am I the follower of Jesus? I need to be aside from my job, aside from my work in the ministry. Am I the follower that I need to be? Because the challenge we find with preachers is that you start to treat it as a job and it just becomes a job and you start to find yourself in a place you never intended to go. So who are the influences in my life? Who leads me? That's what we need to reflect on. If you have questions, feel free to send us a text at 559-224-4883, drop us an email, or reach out to us on our Instagram or Facebook page at Tulare.Church. Have a great rest of your week, and God bless.